Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 319 of Her, the podcast where you'll hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, oh boy, really getting into her mind. You're going to hear more. This is a good one. Before we begin, know that this episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to SmartyPantsVitamins.com. And here's your first reminder to click on iTunes after this episode. We want you to rate and review the show because we love, love, love your feedback. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. Now, huh, let's talk about her mind. Can an active lifestyle help ward off Alzheimer's? You hear about this all the time. Is, is there some way to be able to put together mental and social stimulation that can help people, especially older people, fight neurological degeneration? Oh boy, I hope the answer is yes, and I think the answer is yes. Why? Because our expert is Dr. Han Yu, who is author of a brand new book called Mind Thief, The Story of Alzheimer's. Uh-huh, something that all of us have on our mind. We, we say, God, I don't want to get that. But how do you prevent that? How can you optimize your life? So Dr. Yu is a professor in the Department of English at Kansas State University, where she teaches technical communication, science writing, and engineering writing. She's the author of The Other Kind of Funnies, Comics in Technical Communication, and Communicating Genetics, Visualizations, and Representations. This is somebody who knows how to write, so let's just all listen up. Han, welcome to the Her Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very glad to be here. All right. Now, tell me why you wrote this book. Boy, <laughs> that's a really good question. And, um, and you're not the first one who has asked that. Um, because, as you said, I am a professor in, in, in the English department. And I obviously teach communication. So I don't really have a... I don't have a BA. I don't have an MA in science. Um, but I do deal a lot with sciences um, in a couple of capacities. So I teach a lot of science students in my classroom. So I preach the idea that, you know, as scientists or scientists in training, they have a responsibility to communicate their subject matters, their expertise to everyday public audiences. And they have the responsibility to explain any subject matters, no matter how seemingly complex, in languages and in styles that are accessible to everyday readers. So I preach that a lot. Some of them may not believe me, um, some of them do. 
Um, I also do quite a bit of research in science communication. So as you um, very kindly <laughs> introduced, I um, did my last book, um, Communicating Genetics. So that one dealt with how do we communicate genetics to the public readers, uh, more via the visualization approach as opposed to writing. So in my other academic writing, my edited collection, my articles, I talk about the same thing, you know, the stuff that I teach in the classroom. I talk about the different theories and practices that scientists and science communicators can use to again, responsibly, ethically, intelligently communicate science to the public. So at a certain point after years of doing that, I was like, you know, I want to do it myself. I want to be able to practice what I preach at a theoretical and pedagogical level. I do that a lot and published a lot. I know I can do that, but I want to do it myself. I want to write a piece of science that is responsible, intelligent, ethical, and really engaging and interesting. That's another really important piece of science communication. It has got to be engaging and interesting for the public to want to read it. Because let's be honest, there are so many entertainment channels out there. We're not going to be able to compete with those if you are communicating in a way that's quote unquote dry or, you know, above other people's head. Um, so I wanted to do that. And I kind of settled, um, Alzheimer's? Well, for a couple of reasons. Uh, personally, I have an uncle who had Alzheimer's and died um, after 10 long years. So I witnessed some of that and uh, it made a really strong impression on me. I was somewhat younger, so, um, so I had some, let's just say, real strong impression. And I always wondered about it. Um, and then later on, about five years ago, when I started writing this book, it was somewhat accidental, but I think all sort of all my research interests come that way. I came across this idea that it is fact that in Alzheimer's research, there are different theories, branches, camps, what you have it, um, that, that think differently about how Alzheimer's, the late onset type, that's not genetically, you know, determined. Where that comes from, particularly I was drawn to the fact that there, there is this semi kind of joke going on about a group of researchers, they're called Baptists because they subscribe this real, this really is the paradigm of the Alzheimer's research. They believe that better amyloid accumulation is what causes Alzheimer's. Now that's a very simplified version of it, but you know, the gist of that is it's the better amyloid. So they're being, they're given the, the nickname baptism for BAP is the acronym for better amyloid. Um, so that's one camp, and that really is the dominant paradigm. Um, a lot of research funding goes into them. They have probably the larger group of people working on that particular theory or different aspects of that theory. And there is also another camp that's also pretty strong. They're called Taoists. T-A-U-I-S-T is what they should be. 
Um, but, you know, it's like the Eastern Taoism versus the Western Baptism kind of thing. So Taoists work on the theory that the, the accumulation of Tao, which is another a protein that sort of acts up and accumulates in the Alzheimer's brain. So I thought, how interesting is that? I was like, is that is that for real? Is that a joke? So I looked into the research and oh my gosh, there's so much. Um, well, there's a lot of science which interests me. But then I started to look into all the different research brand, branches, different camps, the history of it. And I saw a lot of stories. And that essentially is what attracts me, stories. Like I said earlier, if you want to write to the public audiences, you really have to find something engaging. Um, and stories are what engages, you know, what engage humans. They teach us lessons. They tell us other people's struggles, triumphs. Um, so that's where that book came from. I just kind of so started that's digging. where your book came from. Mm -hmm. So I mean, what a great um, adventure! Just listening to you, you know, talk about um, how your how your thought process went with all of this. So now you're showing your own students you can do this. This is great. Okay, now let's go back to the subject which I love of this Wall Street Journal uh, article that you wrote, sort of an excerpt, as it were, um, from the book. And it was all about, can an active lifestyle help ward off Alzheimer's? And really, in the day of COVID, I mean, we still do have this pandemic thing going on. We, you know, we're talking about people who are isolated, people are not getting out. Are they getting enough physical activity? Are they getting enough socializing? You know, it's had a profound effect, one can only imagine. Give us an idea how, how you attack this whole issue of can an active lifestyle help ward off Alzheimer's? To be perfectly honest, that chapter, it's so the, that Washer article is an adapted excerpt from the book. Right. And it really is the last chapter of the book. Um, well, aside from the ep epilogue where I kind of reflected on my writing experience. So earlier on in the book, I talked about all these different research endeavors to try to find a pharmaceutical treatment, so a drug essentially whether it being from the perspective tall or beta amyloid or mitochondrial, what you have. And, and they're not leading to a cure, not yet at least. I mean, the vaccines, whether especially the beta amyloid vaccines are pushing pretty close and there are, you know, applications being filed for approval, they haven't come yet. And there is a drug that was approved in China based on their own internal research, but there no, there there has not been global trial, um, trials going on. Um, so after all those chapters, I was a little bit disappointed for personal reasons, for you know everybody's suffering, and then so I really want to end the book on a stronger note. 
And the enrichment research is something that has been going on for decades. We have a lot of animal model studies. We have a lot of mice studies looking at how mice who are caged that are caged in different environments, solitarily versus in a group setting, like with just food and water, but no stimulation, whether mental or physical, versus mice that have a lot of toys to play with, a lot of. Um, you know, running wheels, tubes to crawl through, you know, all of that. And there has been a lot of research showing that, you know, the the in, mice that have an enriched lifestyle really do have better um, cognitive performance. And some of these mice are animal models, are Alzheimer's animal models. So they have their genomes have been altered to express the um, Alzheimer's mutations. So they have the human equivalent of Alzheimer's, and they are benefiting from these enrichment activities. So that's where a lot of these research are coming from. Now, of course. Animal studies do not always translate to humans. I mean, we have drugs that work really well in mice and in rats, and they don't necessarily work in humans. So there is that lingering, lingering doubt. Um, we do have a lot of uh, observational studies in humans that observe people for years and sometimes decades to see if these sorts of enrichment activities whether mental or social or physical, can help you know protect their brain, and there there are a lot of research findings that show that they do. Um, again, that being said, there are observational studies. They're not clinical trials where we have more of a controlled setting. You know, we have the placebo group, we have the experimental group, and you give one. Well, what I'm thinking mm -hmm. about is, is, you know, for, for our podcast listeners out there, they're sitting back saying, well, you know, yes or no, can an active lifestyle help ward off Alzheimer's? So there's so much data out there now mm -hmm. showing that physical activity per se um, is, you know, has so many benefits. You have, um, neurogenesis that we know takes place when people are more physically active. There's no question about that. You even have, uh, uh, differential, uh, changes in size of the hippocampus, um, which is the center of memory, um, in people who are older. There's some really good new research that just came out. Um, and so this is all very exciting. So people, you know, I, I think what they really want to know is, okay, um, I want to get up and I want to be more physically active throughout the day. I want to take a walk here, a walk there. I'll go up those stairs. I'll, you know, go out of my way to keep it rocking. Um, and, and this will potentially help me. What do you think? I think it would potentially help. Yes, um, absolutely. That's but it's very it's very tricky to say that it will stop alzheimer's or it will you will never get alzheimer's it's never that um black and white i think any sort of uh, exercise if you physically work out if you do a lot of socializing with friends and family um go out and participate you know after the pandemic of course uh in activities if you do a um, mental stimulation whether it be reading 
you know, doing puzzles, uh, newspapers, whatnot. All of those help. That's the that's what we have seen through observational studies through thousands and thousands of people. But because it's like I said, it's not in a lab setting. We cannot say do this and the result will be this. So it doesn't have that causal relationship that we can prove. That's the thing, though, that I argue that you really cannot quote unquote prove this in the lab. Um, we can we can show, you know, like you were saying, um, there are we can see new growth of neurons. We can see the expansion of different brain regions when their activities uh, and those are very, very strong evidence, biologically speaking. Um, those don't necessarily say, you know, you will never get the disease. Well, you know, I think that, you know, we, no one really can ever use the word never. I think, um, the, the way we like to frame it, um, is basically that you'll reduce your risk for Alzheimer's. And I think with that, um, I, I, you know, I'm all in on that one. You know, it's so interesting. You know, the nun study then, mm-hmm. um, the very famous one out there mm-hmm. from uh, the University of Kentucky. Uh, and I was just going through some of my pictures, um, uh, tweeting um, something about this the other day. And I had met one of their more famous nuns, oh, uh, yeah? Sister Genevieve Kunkel. Okay. Um, she was very famous um, because uh, she was the one used on the Today Show, and uh, she was on the cover of Time magazine at the time of the nun study because she just had this amazing wit and sense of humor. She was asked um, during an interview, "What is the success? What, what is the secret of your success?" At at that time, she was about mm, 90 years old, 91. And she said, oh, that's very, very simple. She says, um, it's just two things. I am alert and I am vertical. And so when she, the minute she said that, I said, that's my motto. I want to be alert, meaning that my brain's working. And I want to be vertical, meaning that my body's in, in pretty good shape. So I'm just having a, a lot of fun, um, you know, thinking about this. But the nun study was exquisitely, um, uh, you know, uh, eye-opening because it it really showed that when you keep yourself mentally and physically engaged, that even though, to your towel point, um, you know, uh, and tangles and all the rest of it, um, even though uh, many of the nuns who donated their brains to science uh, once they passed away had obvious signs of Alzheimer's um, uh, uh, pathology in their brains, they themselves never got Alzheimer's, um, you know, in in real life. They didn't have it. They had very good memories. They were very cognitively on top of it. So, you know, there was something about their lifestyle, which is why I think you know, clearly genetics plays a role as well. But their lifestyle, it, it, it really speaks to everything from socialization, support, um, their nutrition, 
their physical activity, their faith, their very deep faith. Um, I don't know. What do you think about about all that? Yes, absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. So I did look into and wrote about um, the nun study in the book as well. And right, um, so right. I didn't have the honor to physically meet any of these nuns, but I read a lot about um, um, this one sister Mary who died, I think, at 100, 100 one or something and she is exactly one of the examples that you mentioned that when when the researchers did the autopsy her brains are riddled with those pathologies and it's you know it's shrunk and and everything so pathologically speaking she qualifies you know as a as a patient of alzheimer's but she is not showing she wasn't showing any signs of slowing down before she you know she passed away and she let one of those lives that as you were describing she was active she worked you know till she was like 70 80 years old and then she retired but she still kept a very active lifestyle in the you know in 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 the in the religious community um and she had a fantastic attitude you know just always very happy very upbeat um so i think and and it's not just those in the non-study they're I mean, we have research shows that a lot of people, um, when they died and donated and, you know, their brains for autopsy, we see plaques, we see tangles, but they did not manifest the science, the, the clinical science of um, dementia when before they died. So it, it, there is this theory that these people are coping um, and there are different, you know, complexities about exactly how they cope. But one of the idea is that by having for example, um, participated in a lot of mentally stimulating activity throughout life, they sort of uh, saved this, you know, this cognitive reserve. They have a larger reserve that they can afford to lose as they become older. So, you know, just think about if you have a large saving in your bank, if you, you start to lose some of that, you can still cope. Uh, whereas people who do not have a large reserve, whenever pathology set in, the clinical symptoms would come a lot sooner, a lot more obvious. Does that make sense? That makes all the sense in the world. So really, um, what you what we're saying is that I think one of the things we're learning is that there's no magic pill that what we used to think was the major issue can be overridden by other factors. So just because there was a physical and anatomical um, pathology seen in the nun's brain, say for instance, they didn't get Alzheimer's. They were perfectly fine and they lived a long and very productive life. What's going on with that? What are the little secrets that we could learn from that type of lifestyle. Not that obviously everyone has to live in a convent, but it's just that there were specific things. One of the most powerful uh, pieces of uh, research I've, I've seen in the past is the fact that um, when, when older people who are in these uh, retirement communities like Leisure World, when they um, attend uh, their weekly bingo, and then they have their little card night like Mahjong or something. Um, and they have book night and whatever. And when they attend these things, obviously with other people, and they're socially engaging, that when you take the benefits cognitively 
of those people um, that it equals, if not exceeds, what exercise can do. Now, that was an eye-opener. You know, I mean, think about it. If you're just exercising all by your little lonesome, you're not really doing much socializing, you're not really challenging your mind very much, well, the good news is you'll, you'll have nice toned muscles and everything, but I'm not sure about everything else. Whereas when you have this mental engagement, it's a whole different thing. What do you think of that? Right, so... um so if you look at different researchers and different specific studies, some say all aspects of enrichment, physical, mental, and social, have to work together for you to reap the, the most benefits. Others may say, well, one or two of them is enough. If it were me, and that's what I'm trying to do in my everyday life, I go, all, I go for all three. Um, I, I mean, I've seen research that shows you can have all the enrichment that you, you know, you have, whether it be physical, you know, you exercise or you do a lot of puzzles, you study. But if you are isolated, you just don't get that much out of it. I mean, we're social animals and it's just socializing really gets your brain working. I mean, if you need to talk to people, relate to people, empathy and all of that, it uses a lot of brain power. And a lot of those same brain areas overlap with cognitive thinking, with memory. Um, so I think that's essential. Um, I actually personally, I think socializing and mental, stimu and mental stimulation are even more important than physical exercises. But I, I go for all three. Absolutely, no question. See, you know, I'm an expert in lifestyle medicine. And what I much prefer is that people look at this as a, um, more as a totality in a comprehensive way. Look at your entire lifestyle. You can't pop a bunch of supplements and say you're going to prevent Alzheimer's. It's just not going to happen. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And I think that's the thing was, um, was you know, we do lack clinical trials and controlled trials that show enrichment activities help. But that's what I, what I try to explain in the book is that you just can't really very well replicate those activities in the lab. The modern clinical trials are conceived in such a way that it is all about isolating specific chemical elements. So that's why we have the placebo, you know, to try to make a comparison of this one specific chemical element is making a difference in people who are getting the drug. But Enrichment activities, just daily activities, they cannot be easily isolated. Like if you play bingo, I mean, you are mentally stimulated, you, or you ought to be, um, but you are also socializing. That's, a such, that's such a huge component of it. And let's say you walk to you know, the senior center to do that, you climb the stairs, so you are doing some physical activities as well. So it's a very combined and diffused activity. How do you test something like that in a lab? It's very difficult. And if you really arbitrarily, you know, separated it, then are you gonna, are you diluting the effect? Are you really testing the element that we want to test? I mean, researchers get into such a hard time trying to test this one thing that's called social engagement or socializing. 
how do you just test socializing without some kind of a mental stimulation? I mean, you you have people come together and talk, but you know, like we're talking right now, but I bet we are mentally stimulated, but we're also socializing. Um, so that's what that's one of the reasons where I think it's very difficult to test these in the lab and prove that causal effect that so many people want to see. Um, does that make sense? Yes, it makes all the sense in the world. So you know, I think the message out there to our wonderful, wonderful, um, you know, listeners with the Her podcast is this: Look. Nobody wants to end up with some level of dementia, whether it's officially Alzheimer's or it's some other form of dementia, because Alzheimer's isn't the only one. Um, the most important thing you can do right now, based upon the best science out there, and as you know, I'm a clinical scientist, is, is to lead an active and engaged lifestyle. That's the most important thing, mind and body both. Don't leave out one or the other. It, it, it's, a, it's a package deal. And I think that Han's wonderful book here, um, which is called Mind Thief, the story of Alzheimer's, I think really you know, is a tremendously uh, uh, provocative um, collection of stories that really helps you wrap your head around just exactly what this type of dementia is really all about, quite frankly. And um, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. Um, and then regardless, just take it from me based upon the best of the best right now. You know, get up and move around as much as you can socialize, obviously, you know, working around, you know, the pandemic right now, but there you have it. Um, socialize as absolutely much as you can um, and, and be creative about it. Get outdoors, you know, uh, you know, do a little bit of melding and uh, uh, connecting with, with nature. Use your beautiful body as much as you can and, and be and constantly challenge yourself mentally and physically. Um, never ever sit on your laurels under any circumstances. If you think about the nun study and if you think about anyone who's ever really been successful in life and led a long and amazing, what we call a health span, which are the number of years that you live in a robust way, you'll find that they never stopped learning. They never stopped challenging themselves. And, um, you know, you look at George O'Keefe. Okay, so eventually she went, you know, pretty blind. Guess what she did? She moved from painting to sculpting. At least she could feel what she was doing. I mean, how amazing is that? And the nuns, when I met uh, Sister Genevieve Kunkel, she was 90, she had just picked up her second master's degree at that age. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Um, and she just kept it going until she was, I believe she passed away at 101. Um, and I just absolutely thought the world of her. Uh, and, and so all I can say is that's, that's where you kind of want to aim. And I think that your book, Han, does a lot to be able to help open people's eyes to what this is really all about. 
you you present the science you present the stories and you know leading up and the actual the adventures leading up to all of the great science you lay it out so people can really read it and it's accessible you did a great job of that and then i'm so glad you let you, you know you ended it with on a positive note with which is you know really um an active lifestyle absolutely does make a difference. So as we wrap things up here on this podcast, give my wonderful listeners of the Herb Podcast just another wise nugget about the book and and what message they can take now and run with to be able to help themselves. So I think the book, um, as Pam was saying, um, explains the science gives you an understanding of what Alzheimer's, which is the most common form of dementia, is all about. It shows a lot of the efforts. I mean, researchers are really trying hard. Patients are really trying hard, participating in clinical trials, going through a lot of, you know, difficult tests to try and find a cure. Yes, we know we don't have a cure right now, but I think even those even those stories give people a perspective especially if they have a loved one who unfortunately does have alzheimer's it shows it to them that people are trying to help and there is hope um so this is bigger than themselves and i hope that gives them some perspectives even the history looking at how other people have been affected i mean their early onset alzheimer's patients who get their minds robbed from them in their 30s and 40s. So I think that gives some perspective. And then of course, you know, in the, you know, in the current situation where we don't have a treatment, we don't have a cure and everything, all the drugs on the market are palliative, do whatever you personally can today. Live life as if somebody left the gate open. You know, I'm thinking of my dogs, of course, but I just think of that kind of enthusiasm in them to live every day, embrace every day, and and just hope for the best. I think keep a really positive attitude. That's all we can do. I love it. And, and, and on that absolutely beautiful, positive note, I thank you so much, Dr. Han Yu. And again, the name of her book is Mind Thief, The Story of Alzheimer's. Okay, now everyone, take a minute, hit iTunes and rate and review the show because I would love to hear from you because I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Her Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter, or Instagram at PamPeakMD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. Thanks for listening today, and please stay safe and stay well.